This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. You're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, and this week uh, we kick off a mini-series on European philanthropy, looking particularly at the role of infrastructure. So I've been very lucky over the last few weeks um, to be able to speak to a range of people, um, experts at the top of their game, um, who work in various places across Europe, um, kind of in the, the environment for infrastructure and philanthropy support, asking them about what they ha- what's been going on during the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly but also more broadly kind of getting a sense of what European philanthropy is, what it's like in the various different contexts across Europe, and particularly the role that philanthropy support organisations play, and sort of what the value of infrastructure is in the post-Covid world. So for this first uh, interview, I'm talking to Max von Abenroth, um, who's the director of Daphne, as you'll hear, and Rosa Gallego, who runs the Spanish Association for Charitable Foundations and is involved in, in many other the ways in lots of organisations um, and I had a really good chat with Max and Rosa to sort of help frame this series so we talked uh, a bit about um, what the sort of context uh, historical and current for European philanthropy is and how the sort of differing contexts around the different places in Europe have helped to shape various different cultures of philanthropy. We talked about you know the extent to which uh, those differences were also matched by by kind of uh, commonalities as well and, and the extent to which it made sense therefore to talk about European philanthropy in, in any meaningful sense. We talked um, a lot about what's been going on particularly around Europe um, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, the impact that's had on various countries um, around the continent and also the particular uh, response of, of philanthropy uh, to the crisis. Uh, there's a lot of issues that you'll see there, sort of common threads in terms of the way it had affected funding practice, uh, the way in which it sort of raised the profile of philanthropy in the eyes of of government and wider society in various places, but also some of the the kind of challenges it had brought to light about lacking infrastructure for collaboration, the need to do far more to engage with sort of technology and the strengths of data and all these sorts of things. Um, and then we talked quite a bit about you know the particular role of philanthropy infrastructure and support organisations. Uh, first of all, what that means and what the elements of infrastructure are, how those are are currently operating, how they fit together at sort of different levels from local to national to European wide and we talked about whether the particular challenges um, that have been brought to light by the crisis had perhaps made this a moment at which recognising the importance of infrastructure and the need to fund it over the longer term created an opportunity to make a sort of renewed positive case for infrastructure and what that might mean. Um, So without further ado I will start yakking and uh, get into the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I will then be back at the end for the usual bit of housekeeping and tidying up. Okay, great. So I'm here with uh, Rosa Gallego and Max von Abendroth. Um, hi, both of you. Hello. Hello. Uh, and so Rosa is Director of International Relations at the Spanish Association of Foundations, uh, and Max is the Executive Director of Daphne, um, which is a network based in Belgium. Um, rather than me trying to explain uh, sort of both of what your organisations do and how you got into the world of philanthropy, maybe it's a good starting point if you could say a bit in, in your own words about um, who you are, what your organisations do, and kind of how you come to, to these issues. Um, So I don't know, Rosa, if you'd like to go first. Yeah, I could. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you very much for having us uh, today, Rodri. Um, I'm thrilled to be part of this podcast. Um, Well, I I can say that I have spent uh, a lot of my professional career uh, on the field of philanthropy, but always working with uh, something that we will we will mention later on with with support organizations or, or infrastructure organizations. I am 
Director of International Relations at the Spanish Association of Foundations. Uh, we are the membership association of foundations. We've got around 800 members in, in Spain. And I've been doing that for quite a long time. I'm not going to say for how long. Uh, I have always been very much involved in, in support organizations. I, I was chair of Daphne for uh, also a, a long number of years. Daphne, well, as Max will explain, uh, gathers the Association of Foundations in Europe. And I also serve on two boards uh, of other uh, global organizations. One is WINGS, the Worldwide Initiatives for Grant Making Support. Uh, and also Candid, Candid, which is the uh, combination of Foundation Center and, and Guide Star. And I serve on both those, uh, those boards. Um, and I actually came to the world of philanthropy through being first working in the charitable sector. I have worked in the charitable sector in Spain. I have worked in the UK and also in Belgium uh, many, many years ago. And when I returned to Spain and started working for the, for the Spanish Association of Foundations, so uh, nearly two decades on, on, this, on this business. Excellent. Um, and Max, perhaps you could say a bit about uh, Daphne and your own background. Yeah, with pleasure. Thank you very much, um, Rodrigo, for the opportunity. Um, Daphne is the Donors and Foundations Networks in Europe, which is the European umbrella organization of uh, national networks of donors and foundations. We have 30 members across Europe in 28 countries. Our territory is the Council of Europe territory, so it's going clearly beyond the European Union. It includes countries like Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, Switzerland, Norway, and the UK. And um, we are working in different areas, including advocacy, which we do jointly with the European Foundation Center and the Philanthropy Advocacy um, Project, um, shaping the enabling environment for philanthropy across Europe. Uh, Daphne is very much about peer exchange and peer learning uh, for the people working for national associations. And then we are working also on how to communicate a bit about philanthropy vis-a-vis -vis the public. Um, my personal um, path into philanthropy is, um, is maybe a long one because at the end of my studies, I uh, set up an NGO in Albania um, that was already supported by foundations at the time. Since then, um, I always had this, um, this idea of working for the foundation sector, um, but I, I worked instead 17 years for the media field and joined Daphne in 2017, so almost three years ago. Um, what I bring to the sector is uh, probably a good understanding of how to develop and strengthen inclusive and participatory networks and 15 years of EU advocacy experience. Great. Oh, that's a really useful introduction. Um, and we'll certainly, I think, you know, come on to talk a lot about what the particular nature of uh, philanthropy infrastructure is, what it involves, what some of the elements are, and, and I think some kind of fundamental questions about what the what the value of it um, is in that wider context. Um, but I know both of you gave quite a lot of uh, thought ahead of this conversation to kind of what we could talk about, more, more I think, than almost anyone else I've had on here, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and certainly you suggested that it might be worth talking about um, what the actual context of philanthropy in Europe looks like because I think a lot of people listening to the to the podcast in the UK or America or elsewhere may not really know what some of the features of European philanthropy are so so I don't know if you want to say a little bit about you know what your kind of sense is of what the culture of philanthropy is in Europe how it potentially differs between uh, different countries and whether there is any kind of meaningful sense of European philanthropy at that that overall level um, Rosa, I don't know if you want to, to take that first. Yes, uh, well, I, I think uh, one, one of the things when I talk about uh, European philanthropy, I, I tend to talk a little bit about history before uh, to say that it's, it's a very old tradition. It's a very old tradition that might have evolved uh, at different paces and in, and in different ways. And, and, and we can talk a little bit about, about that. But we do have, you know, examples of foundations dating back to, you know, as, as, as far back as the, as the 12th century. Um, I, I think in, in, in Spain, we can record, you know, the systems of foundations back in the 12th century, some others in the 15th century. And, uh, and I think Germany 
has uh, and and Max has more information on on this than me. You know, uh, an an even bigger number of foundations that have a very very long tradition. Uh, I don't know, Max, if you can give us some examples of that. Yeah, maybe just um, to to illustrate a bit uh, from the German perspective, um, there were more than two hundred fifty charitable foundations um, that are older than five hundred years, and the oldest dates back to fifteen. Uh, 116, when Jacob Fugger, the younger, founded a place where the needy citizens of Augsburg uh, could be housed. Um, the Fugger Foundation still exists today and is one of the world's oldest social housing complexes. So I think that's a very interesting illustration of um, how long foundations date back in history. I, I I always I mean I go back to history because I think this is very important to understand you know what philanthropy in Europe is now which uh, which for me and and when we talk about identity I would say that the 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 most striking figure is is diversity um, you know this this long tradition has been impacted by well political developments I mean you know during all these centuries uh, uh, lots of different things have happened, governments at certain points and in different regions have disrupted the tradition of giving, for instance, considering that the welfare of citizens was their sole responsibility and therefore they took control of philanthropic resources, uh, including including uh, endowments, uh, lands and property. Uh, this is something that uh, is, is very well told in one of the reports done by Atala Kutab, uh, a former member of, uh, of WINGS. Then if we go to the end of the 19th and the, 20th and the beginning of the 20th century, uh, foundations in some countries were the initiators of the basis of the welfare state, you know, especially in education and, and health systems. And, and what is very interesting about this is that those initiatives, then they were converted into, into rights, into rights that were incorporated into the welfare provision given by, by states. Um, then, of course, it has varied a lot uh, in Europe. And of course, uh, uh, you know, we, we have the countries that under the communist regimes, you know, interrupted their philanthropic practices that were, you know, started again in the 90s and have been uh, rebuilt. Uh, because they did exist before, so they, they need to be uh, rebuilt and then put into, into the context of, of modern philanthropy. And also religion. Religion has had a very important impact on philanthropy. And, and, and we are large, uh, a large continent, you know, with many different religions practice, uh, and all of them has had an impact on, on the cultures of giving. So uh, that has shaped philanthropy in different parts of Europe, uh, depending what was the, ma the majority uh, uh, religion in, in, in that part. Uh, and it's also something that continues shaping philanthropy and is something that we, we like to look uh, into, you know, taking into account how our uh, societies are becoming more, more diverse. And also, of course, the, the legal and the policy environment has had um, an enormous uh, impact in, in philanthropy in, in Europe. Uh, here, I, I can refer a little bit more to foundations, which at the end of the day are, you know, a way of institutional philanthropy. And, and in foundations, and this is something that we've been monitoring uh, for many years, especially the National Association of Foundations, and it is how the uh, changes in legislation have actually been uh, critical and fundamental to the uh, increase of the number of foundations. You know, in many of our countries, uh, you know, more than 75% of foundations have been uh, um, set up after, you know, uh, in the last 20 or 40 years. And in many cases, you know, they, they has happened, you know, when there has been a legal development that has made it easier, clearer, more secure, or more interesting um, uh, to set up, a, uh, set up a foundation. Uh, and that is that is about the history, and, and and that history would at the end, you know, gives what I say, you know, a, a, a landscape of a very very diverse uh, set of actors, of initiatives, of tools, and and so on. Uh, in in particular, in the foundation sector, I would say this, uh, you know, at least four categories of uh, of diversity. One is what is the origin of resources. I mean, we will. You know, in principle, say that 
foundations are, are vehicles to put private uh, resources uh, in action for, for public good or for public interest. But, uh, but you know, these this, uh, resources can come from many places. You know, they can come from, from companies, they can come from individuals. You know, sometimes they even come from the public sector or they come from privatized companies. You know, we have this very good example of the foundations of banking origin in Italy, where you know over 80 foundations that are the largest uh, group of foundations of banking origin in the world are extraordinarily significant there, and and they became uh, to be what they are, you know, after um, uh, a change in legislation in in 1992. In activity, again, a lot of diversity. Um, grant making is one of them. And I know this resonates more with Anglo-Saxon countries, and, and especially, you know, when, when we look to the to the USA. But I think one of the features of uh, of European philanthropy or European foundation is is the number of corporate foundations. Uh, actually, there are programs or even service providers, and sometimes a combination of the of the three. What I think we could generalize is that, in principle, in Europe, foundations are very much local foundations. You know, out of the over 140,000 foundations of public interest that there are in Europe, uh, it's difficult to give a percentage. But from our own experience in Spain, you know, uh, very few work internationally or cross-border. Most of them do it at nationally and national and especially local. Maybe the cross-border issue or topic is something we can we can talk a little bit later later on, and and then, well, I think it's as as in many other places in the world, uh, you know, philanthropy evolves together with society and and, and some of the developments in our societies with. Uh, you know, uh, increased middle class, uh, the possibilities of technology, many other things. You know, are giving are giving place for new new uh, forms of philanthropy, which of course are are living together with foundations uh, at the moment. I think I've, I went far too long, maybe for this uh, for this landscape of uh, of European philanthropy. But what I would say is diversity is uh, is really the main feature. No, I mean, it's absolutely, you know, fascinating overview and, and certainly in talking about the importance of appreciating the historical context. I mean, it's something I'm extre extremely passionate uh, about and, and probably to, to the point of being uh, quite tedious sometimes. But I mean, I, I certainly agree. I think if you don't understand that historical context, it's very difficult to know uh, how differences between different places have arisen and how they play into that kind of wider cultural uh, context and, and what effect the, the, legal, the legislative and regulatory environment has had. Um, and there were certainly were a few things you were saying I'd really like to just 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 pick up on a little bit and, and expand. I mean, you were saying, um, I mean, sort of overall point is, I think I, I get the sense certainly in the UK that people who aren't aware of that that historical context often uh, assume that philanthropy is is essentially a, an import from the USA and. The model they're thinking of is largely the kind of early 20th century model of foundation philanthropy that, that comes, you know, the sort of the Rockefellers and the Carnegies. But actually, if you if you appreciate that in almost all of the countries, certainly in Europe, where we're operating, there are, in fact, much longer histories of philanthropy that are very different and involve very different relationships between uh, the state and philanthropy and, uh, and the kind of role of religion and many of the things you, you mentioned you start to understand that sometimes you have to be quite careful in just importing ideas from the US without recognizing those differences of context. Do, I guess my question is, do you, you've, you've outlined really well there the importance of that historical context. Do you think people working in the philanthropy sector in different countries in Europe themselves do have that appreciation or do you think there is a danger that people sort of look to what's happening in the US and, and how dominant it is in terms of setting the philanthropic agenda and just kind of follow that? Well, I, I think um, 
I think, I mean, I, I agree with you. The history is very important and, and importing things, you know, directly is, is, is a risky thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of learning from others, absolute big fan. Uh, but but we need to be careful when we when we apply when we apply models. But we also need to think that you know the world is becoming smaller and smaller. So so probably you know this uniformity, it's uh, it's something that has to do with the time we are we are living at the moment. When when setting the agenda, I think one one of the very distinctive things of of the uh, philanthropy sector and especially the foundation sector in Europe is that it's composed by a uh, I'm, you know, a very, very large number of medium and small foundations that work very much local and that are very attached to what are the needs and the circumstances and the context there. So I, I don't, I think it could be, you know, uh, some of us, maybe uh, the, the ones that bring the information that, that, that want to act as a, as a thought leader, that sometimes might be, you know, too fast about importing uh, certain certain things, or or certain actors that are interested in the development of something. And I, I think we can we can see some interesting uh, some interesting developments in Europe. Uh, for instance, the community foundation model. You know how um, well it started in the U.S. about 100 years ago, and and then it came to the U.K. I believe it was about 40 years ago when the first community foundation was set up, and that was that was it for a long time until then Germany started about 25 years ago, and then in the last couple of decades, you know, the community fund, the philanthropy movement has spread in Italy, in Romania, in Hungary, in France, in Latvia, uh, in Ukraine, in Russia. And in all these places, you know, it has been adapted to the local context. So I, I don't see a real danger if we are able to always, you know, understand what we do and prove, and prove our value. But the, it is important that we do that and that we acknowledge, you know, what is our value in our particular context. Yeah, absolutely. And Max, do you, do you want to come in on that that question of kind of understanding the the, the European context? Yeah, with pleasure. Um, I think your point about um, looking at the European philanthropy through the lens of US philanthropy is exactly right, and that's also one of the big challenges that we are facing, in particular when you have the public looking at philanthropy and um, also sharing the criticism about big philanthropy. Um, that, uh, that comes mostly from, from the US. If you look inside the sector and how the sector perceives itself, um, that, that really the, the full diversity unfolds. And being at the head of a European umbrella organization, I can see how, for example, in some countries, um, the foundation sector is extremely reluctant to reach out to national governments and talk with them about the enabling environment of philanthropy because it's just not part of their tradition or their self-understanding what they should do. In other countries, it's totally normal for the public sector to work very closely with the philanthropy field. So these are differences that play out when you look a little bit more into the detail across Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that relationship between state and philanthropy, particularly it seems to me there are places in uh, Europe where a lot of the history is about the the state playing quite a large role in the genesis of uh, various philanthropic structures and institutions in a way that perhaps isn't true in the UK, where the, a lot of the philanthropic uh, sort of activity predates the the state in its current form. It, it, that does make, I think, a huge difference in terms of understanding the policy aspect of of philanthropy. So I think it's it's really kind of important to to know. And to understand those sorts of differences, um, I just want to, to sort of bring us forward from thinking about the history. Although I, I could honestly sit here all day and talk about the history of European philanthropy, but um, but but to, to think about this sort of the immediate here and now, because obviously we're at a period in time where you know with the, the COVID nineteen pandemic still going on on around us and kind of um, lockdown measures still in place in many places around the world, huge changes are, are taking place in politics and society, and these are affecting. Uh, philanthropic organizations you know just the same as any others and um, so, so maybe you could give a sense from both of your perspectives of 
how that has, has been playing out um, uh, across Europe in terms of the effect on, on philanthropic funders, what their response has been and what some of the kind of the big issues that they've, they've been facing over the, the past few months have been. Yeah, maybe I can come in here and just expand a little bit from, again, this uh, umbrella or helicopter perspective and how, how we observed um, the, the changes happening throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and in particular the emergency situation um, that we hopefully leave behind us now and move into the recovery phase. Um, the information that, that we gathered at Daphne comes really from um, the weekly update calls that we set up with our members and everyone who was interested to join from the field um, every day on Mon uh, every Monday, sorry, around noon. Uh, we gathered um, up to 40, 50 people uh, to discuss these questions and keep track of what's going on and also see where we can collaborate and support each other. And um, one of the things that came out at, up at a very early stage was that foundations um, felt they need to be more flexible about the way how they deal with the beneficiaries. Um, so to, to kind of move um, the grants that they give from project funding to co-funding, um, to uh, get rid of, of deadlines, um, to adjust the objectives um, for the different projects that they, uh, that they support and make sure that um, the grantees um, can survive in this phase of emergency, uh, which hit them in a similar way um, compared to the corporate sector. Um, so, so that manifests in, in activities like what the London Funders started in, in the UK with the Funder Statement, which was a huge success, um, as I understand, and which served as an inspiration for a European philanthropy statement on COVID-19, which um, the European Foundation Centre and Daphne uh, launched together at a very early stage in this, in this, um, in this whole uh, COVID-19 uh, emergency situation already in March. Um, which then foundations signed up to to kind of commit themselves to certain flexibility rules here. What we also observed was that um, there was a lot of pooled funding activities going on uh, for emergency support. So the example here would be in Italy, um, where the organization ACI, which is gathering all the banking foundations in Italy, um, launched at a very early stage a 40 million euro fund um, to support hospitals and provide protective material and medication um, in, in the areas where they are active in. Um, overall, um, we can say that, uh, and, and the recent McKinsey study titled Reimagining European Philanthropy kind of refers to that, that 1.1 billion euros um, um, have been, have been uh, provided by European philanthropy um, over the last three months to meet the requirements of, um, of the crisis situation. And um, what came out of this is a lot of collaboration, unusual constellations between, um, let's say, governments, uh, stakeholders from the civil society sector field, um, corporate sector, and, and foundations themselves um, to, to align and coordinate through portals, through platforms, but also in real life, um, to, uh, to provide the resources needed uh, in areas where the government on its own probably couldn't act so quickly or would have a bit of a blind spot. And so we saw a lot of um, pooled funding between foundations, public-private partnerships, and also matching funds with governments. And um, this, th these are all new elements, which were probably more or less in, in the thinking on the back of our minds and the minds of the foundations um, to go this route anyway. Uh, but the last three months have shown an enormous acceleration um, of, uh, of these developments. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It certainly echoes um, a lot of things that I've heard from conversations here in in the UK and elsewhere with funders. I mean, big, big themes that I've certainly seen come up are everybody saying there's been a lot more collaboration and, and coordination at, at sort of local, uh, national and international level. Certainly, I think that question of sort of flexibility and switching from programmatic funding to unrestricted funding is something we're seeing a lot in the short term. And I, I guess, as with a lot of things, it will be very interesting to see how much of that sticks in the longer term. Um, I suppose also I'd be interested to, to get both of your takes on whether the 
some of that debate about the balance for foundations in particular between spending now in in response to the kind of immediate needs posed by the crisis and retaining some of their uh, ability to spend more over the longer term um whether that is is something we're seeing in europe because i know it's become a very big area of debate in in the us certainly and and filtering a bit into the uk um rosa i don't know if you wanted to pick up and, and say a bit about sort of any of those or your sense of of what's going on um at the moment in in europe yeah well i i'm you know, to, to build up on, on what um, Max and you have been mentioning, which has to do a lot with, uh, you know, basically with grant making foundations. Uh, I, I always want to bring in, you know, the, the operating foundations, which, as I say at the beginning, you know, are a large part of, of the the foundation field in, in, in Europe and, and we do have some very big foundations that actually act as grant makers, but also they operate their own, their own programs. And I think that for both of them, one of the things that has happened is that the, the work that foundations do and have been doing for years have become much more visible now. Because, I mean, one, one of the things that uh, this unfortunate uh, crisis has made is it has made much more evident, you know, what are the existing fractures and inequalities in our societies. And of course, you know, ranging from, from health system to, to food system to caring systems, you know, how do we care of, um, you know, of our people, uh, education and so on. And, and those are the fields in which traditionally foundations have been working either by funding charities to, to work on them or by operating their own programs. And it's very interesting because uh, uh, for many years, you know, foundations have been shy uh, in terms of telling, you know, what they did and, and how they did, did it. But now it has become very obvious. And, and I think this is one of the important elements that we need to, to keep. And, and the reason, one of the big reasons is because people need to understand better what foundations do, but also because I think foundations the element in what would be the reconstruction that our societies, you know, are facing from on. And I have good examples of foundations turning into emergency mode very quickly. I mean, we have foundations that, uh, you know, uh, uh, started producing um, um, protection, uh, protection uh, um, material for, for hospitals, uh, you know, because they did have uh, an industry uh, pre industry premises, so, so they could do that. But they are also now looking into what is next. Um, you know, the the economic crisis will affect undoubtedly. You know, a lot of us in in Europe, and Spain will be you know a country that will be very hit. I mean, twelve percent of our GDP comes from tourism, and this is going to be an industry that of course is, is going to have a hard time. So we already have a group of foundations that are thinking about the future of work in our country. And with them that for decades have already been working with people that find it uh, you know, vulnerable, uh, people that find it difficult to access the job market. How is it going to work now with you know, even higher unemployment, uh, with difficulties to meet people, you know, to have uh, in-person training or, or in-person coaching or things like that. So, so making the uh, inequalities of our societies much more visible during this time, you know, has put the work of foundations much more in the in the limelight. And I think they should, you know, we should stay there. We should continue telling what we do because it's also very valuable knowledge for what we need to to build uh, for for afterwards. One of the things that I would say is I think we've been very, you know, foundations have been quickly reacting and. and you know, like putting statements together, pulling funds. But it's interesting because I think hardly anyone was prepared for an emergency. So the flexibility has been very good and, you know, and, and it demonstrates that things can be done and can be done quickly. But I will actually urge, you know, the sector to actually have this um, emergency uh, thinking mode so that we start developing uh, tools and, and instruments, you know, that are ready there when the crisis come and we don't need to, to, you know, start thinking or start building things from scratch. 
because it's either this one or another one. You know, uh, uh, crises. You know, are 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 part of are part of our of our life. Um, and there are a lot of components about about that and, and about cooperation internationally. Uh, we this is this is one of the big issues we've been working for many years, and it's you know the the, the difficulties that I still have. Uh, you know, for cross-border philanthropy, and and we are witnessing that. Uh, you know, uh, people, you know, have moved. Uh, they live in other countries, and they they want to give to countries where they have either lived, or they have friends, or they have relatives, or whatever. And it is very difficult. And I think you know, uh, this is this has been one of uh, Daphne's uh, um, well works to do or 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 aims to do you know to to ease the the difficulties of cross-border uh, philanthropy at least in europe and in emergency cases like this you know it becomes very obvious that this needs to be solved yeah absolutely max did, did you want to come in there I yeah, just wanted to um, to highlight one other aspect um, that became so obvious that we are missing this in europe and that's um data, uh, that's data and data insights on the European philanthropy sector. In an emergency situation like the one we just experienced, um, uh, the best thing to have at hand is a good understanding of dynamics, ideally in real time. And uh, we simply didn't have that uh, in Europe. And that's also where we lag really behind compared to the US. So when we, when we think in more broader terms about um, the challenges that the European philanthropy ecosystem is facing, data and uh, data insights on European philanthropy is certainly on this list. And it became so obvious throughout the, the COVID-19 emergency situation. Absolutely. And on, on that point there, I mean, one thing I'd say was very encouraging to hear you say that there are organisations, both grant making and operational, starting to play a part in thinking about the post-COVID recovery and, and rebuilding. So it seems to me one of the, the most important challenges for philanthropy and sort of uh, and, and funders right around the globe is to to make sure one of the lessons we learn is, is to focus on the importance of having some element of foresight and thinking about what might be coming next after this particular crisis. Because I think, you know, the unfortunate reality is this won't be the last crisis of this sort or magnitude we see during our lifetimes. And so a lot of work needs to be done to ensure that as and when it happens again, we are better prepared both in practical terms and also kind of as a society. Um, and, and I guess one element of that, is, as you've said, is thinking about how society itself might change and playing a role in that. Another element is thinking about how the nature of the challenges faced by the people and communities that philanthropic institutions are, are supposed to be serving might change. And I think those needs are gonna change quite significantly. But then there's also a whole set of issues about how the environment for philanthropic organizations themselves and the kind of wider ecosystem of philanthropy is going to change. And, and Max, you've touched on a little bit of there talking about data. But, but I guess maybe that brings us to one of the sort of central things you wanted to discuss about infrastructure, because it seems to me one of the things that people have come around to realizing as a result of what's happening with COVID is that infrastructure is absolutely critical at these moments of crisis but you can't just build it from scratch when crisis hits so actually you need to appreciate its value and the need to invest in it when you aren't in times of crisis so that when those times unfortunately do hit um do, do you think that is is something that a lesson that people are going to take out of this and and you know maybe you could say a bit about you know what that value of philanthropy infrastructure is yeah, um, certainly. I, I think people have experienced um, people. So <laughs> the philanthropy field in Europe has experienced um, the value of philanthropy infrastructure or philanthropy support structures, how we can also phrase it, um, uh, very much over the last month in particular. And luckily, we are in Europe in a situation where we have a very um, diverse landscape of infrastructure organizations already in place. Um, so almost each uh, country in Europe has a national association, um, which is a good representative body of the philanthropy sector in the country. We have um, a, a number of European networks uh, with different focuses, and we have thematic networks. And 
And uh, the good thing now in, throughout this crisis situation um, was to see how, how all of them connected and uh, had, had regular exchanges to understand better what, the, what their role needs to be in order to guide and to lead their members, the foundations themselves, um, through this situation. And also, what is it what they bring to the table, what is different um, to what an, each individual foundation can do? And there are aspects like um, um, an umbrella organization, uh, a philanthropy infrastructure organization um, has by nature a helicopter view. So they see more things and more context um, than an individual foundation does. So they can offer this perspective to their individual members and um, initiate cooperation and collaboration um, on, on very specific projects. So I mentioned before um, the case in Italy of the pooled funding. There was also another very outstanding project in Italy um, creating a platform where the different players came together was uh, very much driven by Asifero, our Italian member, um, but together with other civil society organizations. And um, it helped within a very short period of time to bring key actors together to, to agree on where the money is needed most, where certain knowledge and certain constellation of people and expertise is needed most, and um, to make this available um, immediately uh, for, for where it was needed. So this is just one example. You have similar examples in other countries, like in France, for example, and we are now in the process of setting something up for the recovery phase, also at European level, um, between five uh, network organizations. Um, this platform is called Unitas Europe. So th there is something that, that these um, support structures bring, bring to the table that no one else brings um, to the table and help each individual foundation to, to have even more impact and, and unfold its full potential um, for our society. Um, there are overarching topics. Um, we mentioned data as one of them. Um, I would say advocacy is certainly another one, um, to speak with one voice as a sector vis-a-vis -vis the policymakers and make sure they, they understand what the needs of the sector are to shape an enabling environment uh, for, for philanthropy. Um, the single market for philanthropy, cross-border philanthropy has been mentioned by Rosa before, so that's one of the core asks or core recommendations uh, in, at the EU level at the moment um, that we're discussing with policymakers. So this is something that you need to do as a collective, and, um, and that's where infrastructure comes into play. Um, other topics um, that are really um, challenging the ecosystem and where, again, we need a collective answer to are, um, are topics like climate change. Yeah. So uh, finding a way how we as a sector can respond uh, to the climate change challenge. And there's a great initiative that started in the UK with the Funder Commitment on Climate Change, which is now expanding to Spain and to France. And um, again, as a European umbrella organization, we are uh, talking to, to all our national associations and see how they can take that on board and, and uh, ensure that foundations are signing up to this and living up to this, uh, which is far, going far beyond kind of whitewashing, greenwashing um, the, uh, the image of foundations in the field of climate change, but really um, calling for action. Uh, calling for action in their own organizations, calling for action vis-a-vis -vis their grantees, but also uh, calling for action when it's about investing their assets um, and thinking about where to put the money um, in, in the investment procedures. Um, so this just a couple of examples to show uh, where the infrastructure really makes a difference for the field. No, I mean, absolutely. And that gives a, a really good sort of uh, a sense, I think, of some of the elements. Are there, are there other things, you know, that you would pick up on, Rosa, that you think are kind of core to the value of, of philanthropy infrastructure? Yeah, I think I think one one of also of the important elements that uh, you know uh, infrastructure support organisations bring is I I would talk about two different things. One is uh, uh, we live in a world that is becoming complex by the day, and the speed of events and the amount of information you know it just continues growing in a way that is very difficult for one single institution you know to keep a pace with all that happening. And this is a collective effort. I mean, this is part of what we do as, uh, as support organizations. Uh, we, we are there to, to um, 
to, to learn, to collect information, to digest it, to pass it on to our members, to anticipate things because we, we are in a position to see trends, which is much more difficult for uh, foundations individually. Right. So, so I would say that, you know, the, the, the speed of development and the complexity of almost everything that we do, the, the need for cooperation, the, the uh, impact that, you know, something can have if it's done with others, you know, all, all that complexity is very difficult for one single foundation to do it on their own. And I would say there are probably foundations, you know, that have that capacity, but they probably don't represent more than 5% of the entire foundation sector in Europe. Uh, but it, there is another 95%, you know, that uh, are medium or small, uh, small foundations that are critical in their communities and that on their own will never have that you know, capacity to be informed, to be exposed to new trends and, and, and to have places where they can, when they can talk with others or get trained or get information or talk with a unique or talk with a unique voice. So, so I think this is, uh, this is very important in, in, in this you know, very diverse and, and somehow fragmented, not in a bad way, uh, but, but numerous, maybe numerous, uh, numerous sector. And, and also, you know, it's, it's not only that one single foundation cannot do this, it's just that the, that the perception of society about the foundation sector is not made up by one foundation. It doesn't matter how good this one foundation is, you know, or how uh, 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 proactive or, or, or future thinking it is. I mean, the, the perception of society, uh, the possibilities to, to talk vis-a-vis -vis governments and so on and so forth. You know, it's a combination of the, what the entire sector means, proofs and how it is viewed by society. And in that, uh, infrastructure organizations have uh, an enormous role to play because we are the convener of the, of the sector. We are the organizations that can talk on behalf of, of the entire sector, that can tell what the sector does, what is composed of, what are the trends, what are the challenges and, and all that. So I, I think in these three months, and at least from my experience and, and some of the other elements we've seen around Europe, uh, foundations have seen our, you know, strong convening uh, power been very quickly, you know, in uh, meetings with our members, well, all around, all around Europe, of course, without, all around Spain, of course, one in the round, in the rounds, but with foundations, you know, in, in each corner, in each corner of Spain. And that in this emergency moment has been interesting you know, foundations wanted to learn what others were doing to collaborate and so on, because as Max said, information is not ready, ready and available. But once this first moment passed pass away, uh, we need to keep that. We need to keep, um, you know, foundations sensing that by uh, being in an infrastructure organization, they have quick and efficient access to information, to others, to collaboration, and, and, and be part of, of what is the view that the society has about the sector. I agree. Those, those uh, both seem like very important parts of, of kind of making that ongoing case. Um, did you want to come in there, Max? Yeah, I just wanted to add um, an additional layer uh, to, to this description of the role of philanthropy infrastructure. And that is um, the part of the infrastructure that is connecting the different networks. So if you look at DAFNA as uh, a European organization of national associations, we are the network of networks. And what we started together with all our members and the other members of the ecosystems or the other associations um, in January this year in Madrid with a conference was what we call the PEX Forum. So it's literally a space for all infrastructure organizations in Europe to meet, to come together, to identify jointly what are the challenges for our ecosystem that we need to address together, jointly, collectively, and, um, and to develop trusted relationships between these organizations. Um, I think this is, is, is very important in order to enhance each association's capability to not only serve, but lead its members into new territories. Um, very often, I think people look at associations as, as service providers, um, but 
to be honest, I personally think we left that behind us already a while ago and the associations, and I think in the UK you have a very good example with the Association of Charitable Foundations, ACF, uh, who is really leading, who is stimulating discussions, inspiring, sharing best practices and making sure that um, the field is moving forward. And this is not just happening by itself. This needs um, a coordinated approach in the background. This needs the best people you can find in the field um, to, to do the work, actually. And um, that's why this PECS initiative, um, which is, is literally an artificial term for uh, European philanthropy networks, um, is, is so important and also so appreciated. Over the last three months, we, we experienced um, this close connectedness, uh, um, being so closely connected. And, um, and now it's paying off in the preparation for the recovery phase, where we are jointly um, agreeing on what are the things that, that we need to do um, as associations, how can we support each other um, to really lead um, the foundation space in Europe into an era which um, will be yeah, defined by a much higher complexity and a high level of uncertainty. And um, at the same time, the challenge that we have shrinking resources on the one side, but increasing needs on the other side. So there, there's a big bag of challenges in front of us. And um, we feel that uh, the infrastructure is really um, now in the position to lead the sector into this future. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad you made that that point about um, leadership as opposed to just serving uh, members in a more passive sense. I was going to, to be my next question, because certainly when you mentioned things earlier, like um, uh, climate change and responding to, to the, the climate crisis, and I guess we're seeing now with issues around things like um, concerns over racial justice, actually it does seem to require um, something beyond just um, serving on the part of infrastructure bodies and actually kind of challenging or leading members into places that may be uncomfortable, but in, in the long run are sort of where uh, the philanthropy world needs to go and sort of where foundations need to go. And I, I'd certainly agree. I think ACF has been doing some good work in in, in that sense. Um, the, the question I, I wanted to ask, actually, I'm aware we're in danger of running very long, so I just wanted to cover a couple of things and not keep you for too long, is, is given, given that and the importance of that additional role and all the other things that we've already talked about, one of the challenges it seems to me is, is a sort of practical question of how do you finance this? I mean, infrastructure, unfortunately, is not always the most glamorous topic and getting people to see the need to to finance it appropriately over the long run so that you get all of these additional benefits um, is probably an ongoing challenge but what do you what's your sort of take on on how you you navigate that challenge and convince the people who need to be convinced that, that infrastructure is something worth investing in in the philanthropy world this is a good one, Max. Who goes for it? <laughs> I think this is. I think this is this. This is obviously. Um, I mean, it, it is. It is one of the challenges, and 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 I don't. I don't think this crisis will solve it. Um, but I think. I think by you know this is this is giving us an opportunity to really show the value. And as you say, it's not just. It's not just serving. It's it's leading. And it's interesting because when you get to the side of leading, actually, uh, the engagement of foundations increases because um, uh, the, the serving part, you know, they could have gone shopping any other way, any other place. You know, we, we do have uh, uh, a lot of expertise in certain topics, but I mean, you know, they could have gone shopping anywhere else. But for the leading part, for the uh, for the convening places where you know foundations can have candid conversations, you know, uh, where they can actually put things uh, put things together or run projects together or 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 you know or 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 go for commitments together, uh, I think organizations of ours are the only are really the only place where that can happen. And and I I'm noticing and in the in the last few months how you know our own members are asking for those opportunities and are also bringing to the table what resources they want to put into this. Um, so it it is it is always a um, you know it it's always our difficult our difficult part which is the funding but I think there is a much more sense of the of the usefulness. And also, I would say there are people that are becoming, um, you know, that that are 
they, they have in their own mission, you know, to promote philanthropy. And in that, they see what the value of infrastructure is. I think what is, is important is that there are more of, more of those um, that we convince to be, to be funders of infrastructure. Yeah, and um, in the end, uh, it's a bit like an investment. Yeah, if you look at this from that perspective, so you invest in infrastructure, uh, into infrastructure as a foundation in order to get more out at the end and to put yourself in a, into a better position and to move to the next level. I think one very concrete example where you can um, illustrate that is um, the possibility to facilitate uh, public-private partnerships for infrastructure. Usually in these kind of constellations, you need a trusted relationship to the public body that is your counterpart in, in these kind of arrangements. Um, so that's a typical role for an infrastructure organization to develop these kind of um, relationships. Secondly, you need on the foundation side, a group of funders who want to enter into such an activity. And um, that needs to be coordinated. Uh, and in the end, what the outcome of this is, you have um, more resources at hand uh, to, to do what you wanted to do anyway as a foundation. And you have really this multiplier effect. And that's just one, one very small example of how um, associations um, of donors and foundations can add an immediate value uh, to each individual foundation. There are many more points like giving access to accumulated knowledge and expertise, uh, which a um, foundation on its own ne would never have, um, or increasing the voice, uh, trying to shape the public perception of the foundation sector. I think these are, these are all points um, that are selling points. Overall, I agree with the, with the statement that um, there is not enough funding at the moment out there for infrastructure, so we need to step it up. At the same time, I would also say we need to be a bit visionary how to develop uh, infrastructure into the future. And um, that's, that's, of course, the, the counterpoint to it. And there, um, I think we, we started a, um, a process with PECS uh, in January this year where you can really sense um, the added value that you create by just opening up, getting rid of these competition aspect that exist from time to time between associations, but more come into a collaborative mood, uh, trying to be really effective of, uh, of what we're doing um, and inclusive. And if, if you tick all these boxes, um, then we have a great opportunity for the infrastructure to move ahead. And I think we need visionary funders um, to support this kind of movement. Um, it can happen on its own, but only to a certain extent. And the funders who, with the money they put into the infrastructure, give a direction of in which direction, uh, where it is developing to, um, they, I, would, I would wish to see um, a visionary approach there um, of really doing it collectively, doing it together, doing it as inclusive as possible in order to have a sustainable philanthropy infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that sort of brings us, I, I guess, to my, my last question, and perhaps you've already partly answered it there, Max, but I'll, I'll give Rosa a, a chance as well, which is just what is it that you ideally would like to see happen um, you know, in the next year or, or beyond as we move out of the, out of the crisis phase um, of, of COVID-19 pandemic into the recovery and rebuilding phase? What is it that you would like to see happen in terms of, uh, developing and strengthening that philanthropy infrastructure. Well, I, I think I can only echo uh, echo Max uh, Max words. Uh, I think um, when we when we look back, um, you know, it's not more than 20, 25 years when the majority of the of the infrastructure organisations have been developed in in Europe. Um, and, and they started, you know, with, I would say, very hesitant uh, objectives and, and many of them were linked to just, you know, serving members and finding, a, you know, a, building a good uh, legal environment or claiming for a good legal in, environment for them. But now we are much more ambitious. I mean, this, for instance, this climate commitment that we are trying to do at the moment in three European countries, I mean, this is a very ambitious uh, endeavor. It is. Uh, it goes absolutely beyond what it used to be our traditional role to advocate for a good uh, foundation law and, and and tax incentives and and to give some training to our members. 
on how to to fulfill their obligations it goes to you know to a commitment for one of one that is one of the most pressing issues at the moment so so we we put our game up uh, and as i say at the beginning i think uh, i think foundations like when we put the game up and and they will and they will follow so so i my 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 wish will be uh, not to look back not to look back not to look to you know what we were doing before march this year but all in the contrary analyze what we've been able to achieve in 3 months and and to make sure that those things that have really brought value you know we we all keep investing in them and foundations understand that Max says, you know, this is an investment for the way they can actually fulfill their mission. Great. And I, I mean, I think I said a wonderfully optimistic note on, on which to leave things. And I certainly agree. I mean, it could be potentially be a, an, an incredibly exciting, you know, few years for philanthropy uh, in Europe. So I think it's going to be extremely interesting to watch what happens. Um, it just, just remains to say thanks ever so much to both of you for finding the time to come on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to, to have the chance to talk to you. Um, and certainly, you know, um, if you don't mind, at some point further down the line, I may well uh, uh, call on you again to come back on the podcast and maybe we can pick up on some of these issues and see how they've developed with pleasure thank you very much with pleasure mm-hmm. yeah thank you very much okay great well my thanks again to max and rosa for taking the time to come on the podcast it was a pleasure to talk to them both and i hope you found it as interesting as i did um as i said this is the first of a series um which i'm going to be putting out i think on a bit more uh, of a compacted timetable than normal so i'll be putting out one a week for the next uh few weeks so uh, stay tuned for those um i'll put links in the show notes to lots of the things that max and rosa and i discussed if you're interested more broadly uh in issues around philanthropy and civil society do check out the giving thought pages at the CAF website uh, follow me on twitter at rodri underscore h underscore davis or at philiteracy if you like stuff that's more about kind of historical and academic writings on philanthropy drop us a line at giving thought at cafonline.org if you've got ideas for things we could talk about on the show or people like an interview other than that just like subscribe tell all your friends about it leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcasts because i'm sure that helps and we will see you next time Okay, bye!